at Jared, we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. Podcast, an emergency episode with your host, Paul Semendinger, filling in for E.J. Fagan, and I am joined by the wonderful and very talented and very knowledgeable Scott Moss. <laughs> hey, Paul, how you doing? I'm doing great, Scott. How you doing? Pretty good. All right, we're going to try to make this work. We are not the greatest with technology, but I think we... Uh, can figure this all out, and we are going to talk about the slew of trades that the Yankees have made over the last couple of days. And Scott, let's start with the trade they had with J.A. Happ. Yeah, so I was actually really positive on this trade. I know there's some carping that Happ is kind of middling and he's been bad since the All-Star break, but... I'm a fan for a couple of reasons. First, there was no one really awesome starter available. There's no number one starter available. This isn't year a year when you can, like the Red Sox did previously, give up the farm for Chris Sale. Hap, you know, was about it. Um, secondly, this year he's looked as good in the fundamentals as he did last year. There's no evidence he's really declining. He's had a couple of bad starts, sure, but it's not like things fell apart. Um, this year's XFIP is literally his best ever. And if you're not an XFIP kind of guy, that just looks to the fundamentals. He's 35 and that made me nervous. But the first thing to decline if he's really finally aging out of being a good pitcher would be probably his fastball velocity and strikeout rate. And they're not. This year is his best ever strikeout rate, his best ever swinging strike rate. And his fastball velocity is about 93, basically identical to his past four years and harder than he threw from 07 to 13. So basically he's on pace to be basically a three-war pitcher, which roughly in the shorthand, a number two starter. So yeah, I think he's basically their number two starter, uh, depending on what you think of Masahiro and Sabathia, who have some ups and downs. But the point is that I think that they now, um, he becomes definitely a guy you put in the postseason rotation. I would agree entirely. I think he is a solid pitcher. You know, in the back of my heart, I kept saying I want the Yankees to get um, the guy that went to the Cubs, Cole Hamels. Uh, and I just had this hope that he was going to go 10-0 and 0 down the stretch. It didn't happen. That was just a pipe dream, and that was just being silly and hopeful. I think J.A. Happ is the best pitcher that they could have gotten. And I think you're right. He, he solidifies the rotation. He's better than... Um, Domingo German or whoever else they were going to throw out there. And if the Yankees truly think they can't catch the Red Sox, you know, J.A. Happ's a good guy to go game one of the playoffs if Severino's got to go that wild card game. Yeah, exactly. The fact that it's looking like they're a wild card team, so Severino pitches that, it sort of means that your numbers two and three starters 
are all the more important because they're the guys who go before you return to Severino. And look, I love Tanaka, but he's definitely been hit and miss. And Sabathia has been really good. He seems like, I read a report that his knee's acting up, he got an injection, and so he's on borrowed time, and you hope he holds up, but at the very least, Tanaka and Sabathia are sort of an unstable number two quality pitcher, so I think having Hap is uh, key, really. I, I agree entirely. Now, how do you feel about the Yankees, uh, what they gave up? They gave up Brandon Drury, and they gave up Billy McKinney in order to get J.A. Hap. Yeah, I, I, um, I'm fine with it in that it's... Drury's a weird give because normally these deadline trades between contender and team that gave up, it's team that gave up, the Blue Jays, gives up a guy who's a rental hap, okay? And normally it's just prospects that the Yankee situation gives up. Drury's a weird one in that he's not a prospect in a good way in that he's basically certain to be a major league solid player, more so than a guy who's a triple A who's never proven himself or a high A guy. On the other hand, I'm getting less and less convinced that Brandon Jury has any real upside beyond replacement to average level pitcher because he's been about an average performer. He's not really good defensively at any position. Maybe because they bounced him around, but we can rule out he has the potential to be a defensive whiz given that his ratings were bad at third. They look better at second, but then the Yankees like him better at third. And at AAA, yes, it's unfair to him in the world that he's a AAA, but, you know, I'm sorry, he's not actually killing it entirely at AAA. He's hitting 290 with five home runs in about a third of a season. His OPS is high, mainly because of the walk, so congratulations. He's a major league hitter who knows which AAA guys have garbage control, so he has an inflated walk rate that won't translate the major so so triple a has been basically a 290 hitter with modest power and he's not a great fielder this doesn't scream that he has any superstar upside potential so if this is the brandon drury that has this upside potential after they fixed his migraines with acupuncture chiropractic and whatever else they said it was i'm i think he's a solid player but he's not a guy that they're giving up any real massive upside potential i mean I, I like the guy, and I feel bad that he didn't marinate at AAA, so I'll actually be happy for him if he ends up being a really good player, but I just think it's looking less and less like he has that real star potential. I look at this. We are we are just of one mind. <laughs> I'll have to say something absurd just to get you to disagree, like Billy McKinney is a future Hall of Famer, and it's horrible that they gave him up, but I won't do that. I think so, too. I think that Billy <laughs> McKinney is the guy that's... Going to break this trade for the Yankees? No, McKinney's is playing in his second year too, and I think what is it in the two seventies? Right? Yeah, I think last I heard he was actually below two fifty. And here's the thing: like, there's some guys who live off their prospect pedigree for a long time. So he was a high draft pick. He was one of those guys that kept saying he has a great swing. He looks like a pure hitter. But you know, I think Dylan Tate and Billy McKinney maybe in the same category where. If you were a number one draft pick who's traded multiple times, McKinney, I think, has been traded three times now, uh, Tate twice. If you traded two, three times as a top draft pick, it means that you actually weren't what they thought you were when you were a number one pick, basically. So I, I think between the performance and that and the fact that McKinney doesn't have a lot of power and he's not consistently good contact hitter and he's not really a center fielder, I mean, what's the upside? He's a lot like Drury in a way. He has excellent odds of being a replacement to average player. Maybe Drury is more reliably average, McKinney more like replacement, but I'm seeing corner outfielder without outstanding contact or power skills, which really you're going to miss that guy? 
No, you're not. You know, it's kind of funny. As you're talking, I'm thinking about all of the Yankee uh, players who have arrived on the scene and then got injured. And guys with high upside, like uh, Billy McKinney, he, he had that one game, ready, ran mm. to the wall, got injured, back into the minor leagues. Um, then the same thing happened with Dustin Fowler a few years ago, and the Yankees traded him. They brought, they brought in Drury, and then he had the migraine problem. The guy I feel most bad about is, uh, with Aaron Judge being hurt, Clint Frazier, suffering from migraines again. This would have been his chance to finally break into the outfield, right? I know. I feel terrible for him because it happened right before. So there's a guy from several years ago that's my all-time just sad sack where I just feel terrible for the guy. I want to buy him a latte or something. Is Ranier, I'm pronouncing it wrong, but Ranier Mustelier, he was a Cuban emigre, but he didn't come over from Cuba till he was 26 or 27. And he consistently hit about, he was a lot like Andujar. He hit 290 to 300 at AAA, wasn't a great fielder at third base. But they were going to give him a shot, I believe it was in 2013 or 14. 2013. They were finally going to give him a shot at the starting third base job. But then he ran into something in spring training. I think he ran into a fence. And it didn't, you know, rip him apart like Dustin Fowler, but bad injury. He's out two, three months. And literally, the man never made the major leagues. He was in the running to be the starting third baseman for the Yankees. And just then he went to the Braves and... He kept being sort of a tweener who hit 300 with middling power AAA, but no fielding ability. And then, get this, the Braves called him up to be the 26th man in the doubleheader once, and he didn't get in the bat. And oh. that's his major league career. And here's the thing. The Braves were garbage that year. Just have, just have the man pinch hit. You'll just have made his life for the rest of his life. He'll have been a guy in the majors. But anyhow, so he never made the majors, and he's playing in Mexico now. He's hitting 333 at AAA-level opponents. He's just the best... He may be one of the best players I've ever heard of who's never made the majors and just a sad sack. And you hope Clint Frazier doesn't become that. And, you know, but he'll, he'll have more of a shot eventually. But, hey, with Aaron Hicks looking like the best center fielder in the league, not named after a fish, I don't know. You know, maybe they'll find a way to work him in and rotate Stanton and Judge to DH next year eventually. But, yeah, I hope Frazier isn't as blocked as he looks right now. Yeah, the poor guy, because this was his opportunity, and he, he's also had the injury bug. That's two times this year with the uh, migraines and the and the concussion protocol, and that's never a good thing, and that probably makes him untradeable if the Yankees were thinking of trading him before the trade deadline tomorrow. So let's move on. Let's talk about Chasen Shreve, the Yankees' uh, <laughs> left-hander, who, you know, didn't uh, exactly get to be the guy that everybody loved the most. The Yankees traded him and uh, Giovanni Gallegos. They went to St. Louis for international free agent money and first baseman, uh, what's his first name? Luke Voigt. What do you think about that one? Yeah, I keep going to call him John Voigt or something, and I think I'm Mission Impossible. Oh, yeah, anyway, so, um, yeah, I mean, Shreve and Gallegos strike me as showing a pattern of what the Yankees are doing between, like, here are the guys the Yankees gave up. They gave up McKinney and Drury, Shreve, Gallegos, Cody Carroll, who's a interchangeable righty middle reliever, Josh Rogers, uh, you know, tear from EJ's eye rolls down for that one. But, you know, sort of the, um, the next Vidal Nuno, sort of a controlled AAA guy, Tyler Austin, who's barely a major leaguer. I think the Yankees have done an excellent job of finding guys who define replacement level or maybe useful backup like Tyler Austin or useful righty reliever, but 
My gosh, those guys were on trees. I mean, guys like Tyler Austin and what Billy McKinney looks like, like backup corner to first base. I mean, every team has like eight of those guys. And Luke Voigt seems like a slightly better version. So I think we're not going to miss Shreve and Gallegos. Um, but it strikes me that between the Shreve and Gallegos trades going partly for international bonus money and Warren going for international bonus money, I wonder if they're thinking, you know, we're giving up prospects to make this stretch run for Hab, for Britain, uh, to some extent for Lynn. In a sense, getting international bonus money is like getting a high A prospect who's really talented, right? Because the top... 2 to 12 or 10 guys from Cuba or whatever it is. They're unproven but really talented. So I think in a sense they're saying we're basically replenishing the guys we gave up um, for Britain and to some extent for Happen Lynn by getting basically high A guys, which is what international bonus money is, I figure. And uh, they did use some of that money to sign uh, this guy Oziel Rodriguez. Um Right after the Chase and Shreve trade, they, they signed him for $600,000. And according to some, Ben Badler on Twitter, he's the number one international pitching prospect. So they're giving up some pretty good talent, if you want, but they're uh, at the same time restocking the farm. So it just seems like they seem a step ahead of everybody else with some of these deals. Yeah, it's almost like arbitrage in that you do a couple of trades that balance out and you end up a nickel better on average. So... If you give up Warren and get Lynn, but you also get international bonus money that gives you a pretty good prospect, then you sort of swapped out guys who are pretty similar and gotten a gain in the process. So you'll have given up on the net. They'll have given up a couple of prospects in this trade season. But if they give a bunch of prospects but get two good Cuban guys to replace him, suddenly it could be sort of a wash for how their farm system looks overall or close to it. And... What I think they're also doing is getting rid of guys who are on that Rule 5 bubble, guys they can't protect, and then if you're just signing new guys, you got a whole bunch of years again before they're going to become Rule 5 eligible. So you're getting rid of guys you're going to get nothing for, and at the same time, you're re restocking your farm system. So it seems brilliant, no? Yeah, and the, you know it reminds me of the trade that I always thought would make sense, and you know I'm sure there's a reason they don't do it, but... If you're on the bubble, you have more than 40 guys to the 40-man. So you're going to lose guys like Chase and Shreve, Cody Carroll, Billy McKinney, Josh Rogers, Tyler Austin. Why don't you just trade Major League-ready guys on the bubble for low-A prospects who aren't Rufile eligible? Like, why don't you see, if they didn't need anybody like Hap or Lance Lynn as a starter, why don't they just go to the Padres or something and say, we'll give you three guys who are sort of Major League-ready for three guys who aren't and aren't Rufile eligible? Well, that's kind of what they did in giving up those guys for international money because, again, an international money gain is kind of like gaining a high A prospect. So, yeah, I think this kind of serves the 40-man purpose, too. Yeah, excellent, excellent. So the Yankees then also traded Adam Warren, as you mentioned, and he went to the Mariners where he's going to probably slot in as their number three guy out of the bullpen. So he goes from the Yankees, I don't know, I think this year they're carrying 47 pitchers and they have nobody on the bench. But I think he was like number 45 at, on the Yankee uh, bullpen list. And he goes all the way up to number three with the Mariners. So I guess the hope is he doesn't pitch against the Yankees in a big spot in the postseason. <laughs> and they got more international bonus pool money. <laughs> yeah. So, the, uh, so Warren, I was surprised by that. I was really surprised because that's the trade that it seems like all the losing teams are making. They trade a pretty good to very good reliever for 
international money or a low A prospect. In other words, this seems like the opposite of the trade the Yankees should do, but it's like you're saying, they're balancing out trades with each other. So if you get Britain and Batanzas looks pretty solid again, and they might be call uh, they might be getting confident in either calling up Sheffield or Acevedo or maybe Herman's a reliever. I think they have enough relievers that if Warren's going to be, I don't know, fourth or fifth in the food chain, in a playoff series, you don't really care who your fifth reliever is because there's so many off days that you end up just using your top three guys much, much more than everybody else. I mean, you and I are old enough to remember that when Torrey seemed to trust Rivera and Wetland and then Mike Stanton, and there'd be basically three relievers that he would just pitch almost every day in the postseason in the 90s, early 2000s. And I think the loss of Warren might make him on the net a little worse team, but it's balanced out by gaining Britain for the bullpen, Lynn maybe for the bullpen, and Hap. Um, and, you know, just going back to the Shreve and Gallegos trade, so they give a three reliever, Shreve, Gallegos, Warren. Um, but their bullpen's still pretty stocked, and Luke Voigt, boy, it, he seems almost identical to Adam Warren. I mean, to, to Tyler Austin, in that they're both about 27-year-olds. They're both large guys who are sort of first baseman, but probably not good at anything defensively. And Voigt is basically a league average hitter. War, uh, Austin's basically a league average hitter. Uh, the one thing I'll say is there's just more evidence that Voigt maybe just be a little better. So he might be a slightly better version of Austin in that Austin, you know, isn't exactly killing it since they sent him down. This year he's hitting 247 at AAA. Last year at 275 at AAA. So it's looking like Austin has some power, but maybe not enough, and he doesn't draw walks at all, to make up for the fact that he doesn't make contact and draw walks and the power is middling. I mean, Void, in contrast, I don't know much about him. I don't think anybody did, other than, you know, mommy and daddy Void who were rooting for him. But there's a guy who's, um, for his career, is a 297 hitter double A, then a 314 at AAA, and he has decent power. Um, you know, and he draws a decent amount of walks. He drew a lot of walks at double A and triple A. So, and, you know, he's 27, and you're always skeptical of guys who don't make it to the majors for good until they're 27, but he didn't really get started in the minors until he had a short season at 22. It looks like he graduated college, and, you know, education's great and all, but that's kind of a mistake if you want to be a major leaguer. So I think he may actually, you know, have some real ability there um, to be maybe that righty that they need with Judge and Sanchez out. Not that he's those guys, but he's a better sub-in than Austin, probably. And I think he also has two more years of um, options. So mm. I think Austin is, again, on that Rule 5 bubble, and they, they have to let him go at the end of the year. And I think they have this guy under control till 2020. Um, yeah, and, yeah, and it looks like, I mean, maybe he's, you know, he is kind of like Austin, a first baseman and outfielder, but really a first baseman. So. Right, you know, I don't think you want these guys in the outfield. But I think they're so stacked in the outfield that, you know, Frazier hopefully is back relatively soon, but they have, you know, Hicks. Um, Stan and Gardner generally demand the outfield. They don't need somebody to play the outfield much. So his weakness, if he's not really an outfielder, um, and the Cardinals didn't play him at all in outfield, only first base. So it tells you he's kind of like Austin, but I think they're fine with it. He's a righty bat who is useful in that way. All right. So the last guy they got, and we've talked around the trade with, with some of the other things, is the Yankees traded Austin, as we've talked about, and minor leaguer Luis Frijo, who's I think only in single A, to the Twins, and they picked up Lance Lynn this afternoon. So what do you think about Lance Lynn? 
Yeah, I was really unexcited. This is the one that I'm scratching my head about. Um, because Lynn is just, doesn't seem like he's good at pitching in that he's been bad this year. I mean, he's never been a super superstar, but, you know, well, I guess he had some good years back in his mid-20s. But, you know, last year he didn't, he had a good year, right, but didn't generally look good. Um, his control was not great last year. It's worse this year. So he strikes out batters, but he's walking five and a half per nine this year. And last year was 3.8. So he just doesn't seem like a great pitcher. But that said, um, with Herman, when he was in the rotation, alternating really good start and total garbage, you know, if you have to use him in the rotation, either because Sonny Gray implodes again or Sabathia's knee implodes, I think if he ends up begrudgingly your number four starter in the playoffs, there's value in the fact that he's like a solid four and a half ERA kind of guy. Like if that's who he is, you know, he gives you a chance to win with that good offense. He's not a great pitcher, but he's not going to give up eight runs in an inning like Herman might. Uh, Herman might throw a no hitter, but he might give up eight runs in an inning. So I think he's of some value as a break glass in case of emergency starter whom I trust more than Luis Sessa. Um, but I wonder if in this world, I'll give the Yankees the benefit of the doubt because I like Cashman. I think they know what they're doing. He's never really meaningfully relieved, but he gave some quotes that he's open to it. And, you know, some guys, some starters, when they become relievers, are basically the same guy. Many, most, are better. Some are much, much, much better. I mean, basically every stud closer you've ever heard of was a garbage starter. <laughs> so um, the artist figuring out which mediocre to garbage starters will play up a lot better in relief. I, I bet you, I wonder if they've decided that Lynn is that kind of guy. He's an extreme ground ball pitcher. Even though he's bad this year, he's the third highest ground ball rate in the AL among starters. Um, and, you know, so it's possible that they really think he could play up out of the bullpen. I'm just guessing here, though. Uh, Katie Sharp on Twitter uh, gives these numbers for Lance Lynn, career versus Red Sox. Now, Beware of the small sample size. But anyway, five starts, 30 innings pitched, a 1.80 ERA, and a 211 opponent batting average. Yeah. So maybe, maybe she maybe the Yankees feel that that's what he's going to do. I'm I'm always suspicious of that. We've talked a lot about how Joe Torre used to play guys like uh oh, what was his name? Enrique Wilson, because he hit Pedro Martinez really well in 10 at-bats, and you think it's going to continue. But, hey, if this guy owns the Red Sox, maybe that's uh, something that can help as well. Yeah, and it's also possible that there's some reason they think he'd be a good matchup against the Red Sox. I mean, there are granular-level matchups that good teams know, like which teams can't uh, – which teams' top three or four hitters do badly against this kind of guy. So it's possible Lance Lynn is that kind of guy. Um, the other thing about Lance Lynn that – uh, I wanted to add might support my hunch that maybe they think we think Lynn will play up out of the bullpen is that Lance Lynn is not young. He's 31 years old. That's not, you know, you're going off the cliff, you're old, but it's the age where you wonder whether a weaker season means he might be declining kind of like half. But I looked up some of the numbers and this year by a tiny bit, this is the hardest he's thrown since his rookie year, his fastball. It's the hardest he's thrown his curveball ever. It's, the second hardest he's throwing is slider. And, you know, so in other words, and his strikeout rate is a little higher this year. I think they decided that whatever's wrong with him this year, his control or whatever, his arm is as good as it ever was and is strong. 
And it makes me think that's the sort of guy that if you throw him in the bullpen, you know, he's not, in other words, maxing out when he throws 92, 93, like Hat might be. He might actually have more in the tank. That's just a guess, though. It could be. Could be. Okay, so we have time for just one more little activity. Are you ready for a fun little game we're going to (laughs) play? Go ahead. I'm scared, but go ahead. (laughs) So the Yankees have traded a whole bunch of their minor league players. According to Major League Baseball, they still have a top 10 minor league system. But looking at the Yankee top 10 minor leaguers now compared to when the season started, uh, it's a lot different. And so I was just going to run down from 10 to 1. The top 10 guys, according to the 2018 MLB Prospect Watch, currently on the Yankees in the minor leagues. And you tell me if you're uh, excited about them, or you don't have an opinion of them, or you think they're going to be traded before the trade deadline tomorrow at 4 p.m. Are you ready? <laughs> yep. Yeah. All right. This, this is just a quick take. So here we go. Matt Sauer, number 10, right-handed pitcher. All right. Oh, you keep going on the list. I'm writing it down. Oh, okay. So you want yeah, to do it that way? Yeah. All right. So number nine, Luis Medina, right-handed pitcher. Okay. Here's something different. Number eight, Trevor Steffen, right-handed pitcher. And just because we like to shake things up, number seven is Clark Schmidt, a right-handed pitcher. Number six, recently drafted, Anthony Siegler, a catcher. Number five, Domingo Acevedo, who I think had that same thing. Uh, he came up for about 32 seconds uh, one day. He's a right-handed pitcher. Number four is Albert Abreu, a right-handed pitcher. Number three is is Jonathan Loisaga, a right-handed pitcher. And then number two is Esteban Florial, an outfielder. And number one, Justice Sheffield, a left-handed pitcher. What's your thoughts? I feel pretty good about that top 10. I mean, it's not what it was in 2017 when... It was as deep a farm system as there is when 2016-17 Torres and Frazier um, and Andujar were still on the list. But that I think no team retains that quality farm system for more than about two years, both because some if, if, if the prospect lists are right that you have a top two or three farm system because your top 10 guys are knocking on the door, the majors are going to be great. They should no longer be on the list of prospects in about a year or two. They should be in the majors, which, you know, Torres and Anduhar are, and Frazier would be if he weren't hurt. Uh, and, you know, granted, there's some guys that fell off a cliff like Chance Adams. But, you know, looking at the 2017 list, Matt Sauer was number nine then, and he's number 10 now. And there's always some flux in that, look, you have the new hot young thing, which would be either Anthony Siegler or Trevor Steffen, but... You know, we look at that list, and Clark Schmidt has, uh, you know, I don't follow the exact blow-by-blow, but it seems like he's come back okay from Tommy John in that this year he has 24 strikeouts in 19 innings and good control. And the things you look for after Tommy John are, A, some guys don't get the velocity back, and B, some guys that do, they still they have garbage control for six months or so. It seems like he's looking really good um, on both of those fronts, so... I think this is a pretty good system in that, you know, you can go down the list and if Schmidt is seven, uh, I'm not going to pretend I know a lot about eight, nine, ten. I feel like all those through seven are really good prospects. They're guys who could headline a deal. Um, so I haven't looked, when I look at top 10 lists, you know, it's hard to know exactly how to compare apples to oranges to anvils or whatever, but I feel like I go down the list and how far down before you get guys and you say, eh, 
you know, this guy's a future, you know, interchangeable reliever or something. Um, but, you know, it looks like at the least Stefan, Medina, and Sauer, and then the next two guys are right-handed pitchers. Um, they just have a lot of live arms still. So I think this is still a good system. I mean, EJ was pointing out their system is really light on position players. The only position players in the top 13 are Anthony Siegler, who was drafted about two days ago, and Estevan Floriel, who's, you know, promising but really young. So, yeah, they have no position players, but the Yankees are pretty stocked in position players. They need pitchers like everyone does. So I feel like this is a good system. You know? Yeah, I think you're right. You see any of them getting traded? I don't know. I mean, I, on the one hand, you know, I love the Cashman trades are unpredictable, but afterwards you can see what he was getting at. So, you know, I'm running out of things that I can see him doing, though, except that I bet you the only thing they might do is get a catcher who can split time with Austin better than Kyle Higashioka. Um, you know, maybe someone like Mesoraco in the Mets. I don't think, in other words, they're going to trade for... I think with Judge coming back, it's a minor wrist injury. They're not going to spend real prospects anymore than they have on a real outfield prospect. Is what's he going to do? You know, uh, you know, play go fish with Clint Frazier in a month when Frazier's back and Judge is back. So I can see them needing another catcher, but with Sanchez eventually still reclaiming the role, they just need a stopgap. But I think that if I had a wild guess, I'd say they're probably not getting another hitter. That's probably Voight's role, basically, a righty to replace the righties they lost. And a similar Voight-level catcher, maybe, or a sort of somewhere between, like, a really good backup catcher or not-quite-star starting catcher. Uh, you know, Miseraco and the Mets seems like a good idea, except the Mets seem like they're just a hot mess, where they're going to trade a guy, then they're not going to trade a guy, they're going nowhere, but they're demanding a king's ransom for all their pitchers, which is why about 20 pitchers have been traded in the majors and none of them, the Mets, except for their closer, whom they got nothing for. So, like, I don't think they will. I don't think so either. And uh, you know what? I think we did a heck of a job here. We're just about at the 30-minute mark. So we covered all the trades. We kept everybody up to date. And this has been the EJ Fagan Less, and we can't wait till he returns, Bronx <laughs> Beat podcast. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once-a-year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once-a-year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted.